Wow. I knew that was coming. I uh, saw the order of service before. I heard them at rehearsal. And just even hearing that live, it was like, I just felt overwhelmed. Just peace. (laughs) There's such a beautiful thing that happens with harmonies, people singing different notes, and yet this incredible sound that, uh, that comes together. And the words themselves are so powerful, of course, declaring the message of the season. And there's something so powerful about the presence of God's Spirit, isn't there? And as we discover this morning, it's through a person that we experience peace. Now, you may think as you were listening to that song, all is well. Maybe for some of you, you can declare amen. Yes, absolutely. Things are great. For others, maybe you're not so sure. Is all well? You look at the world around us, you turn on the news cycles, you scroll through Twitter, And what are you confronted with? War, division, tension, just seems like chaos in so many different ways. Uh, High levels of stress for people as we think about finances and we can't turn on TV without getting another update about the latest uh, percentage increase in inflation. Another economist going on and on about a recession. And then you factor in Christmas, right? Christmas has its own seasonal stress that seems in some ways insignificant in comparison to some of these much bigger global issues. But we feel it, don't we? There's gifts to buy, and maybe there's 
Not as much money to go around as there once was. And you go to the store. I I had to buy a new car battery recently. And uh, I just bought one last year. And it was $30 more than it was the previous year. It adds stress. There's events to attend. Preparations to take care of, of course. And so Christmas in itself has its own unique stressors. And so when we come to Christmas and we hear this refrain, peace on earth, and we hear that over and over and over, and we might be, uh, it might be real of us to even say, maybe we're a little cynical about that. It's kind of like, yeah, right. As if. Peace? Really? But what if we have misunderstood peace all along? This fall, we've been thinking about life together. We've been talking about this reality that when God calls us to follow him, he is simultaneously calling us into community. He calls us to himself individually, yes, but then we live that out collectively. That is, together, our life together is the church. We are the church. And so for Advent, we decided to just keep running with this theme. Because I believe, and our staff believes, that it's very important for us to understand this. Because it seems that too many people believe or think that the only thing that really matters is, you know, my relationship with Jesus. And we ignore the call to live that out in community. So it's just this sense of, you know, Jesus and me, we're tight, and that's enough. But we can't separate ourselves from the other side of that call. Because the church are God's people who have been called out, but have been called together. And together we are God's family. And we were never meant to live out our faith independently. So it's fair to ask, what is this faith community supposed to look like? Because sometimes we get it wrong. And so two weeks ago, Pastor Adam reminded us that this community is to be a community of light. That there is this missional reality to our life together that individually and then collectively, we are ambassadors or torchbearers bringing the life and light of Jesus Christ to the darkness in our world. Friends, that's purpose. That's what could get us up in the morning when we're laying in bed and going, what's this day going to hold? And we're like, you know what? You've got a mission today. You're going to get up and you're going to go to your place of work or you're going to go to school or you're going to go into your neighborhood or whatever it is. And your mission is to be a bearer of light, to bring the life and light of Jesus into the darkness that is in our world. And since Jesus brought hope and peace and love and joy to our world, we too ought to bring hope and peace and joy and love to our world. And as followers of Jesus, we reflect the character of God to the world around us. And so last week, as we then picked up these Advent themes in the context of this series of life together, Pastor Adam took us on a journey of discovering what does it mean to mature as a community of hope. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about being a community of peace. Because if there's something our community or our world desperately needs, it's peace. But maybe not in the way that they would expect. So what is peace? 
For many, we think of peace immediately as an emotion, something that we feel. And if we don't feel it, maybe we think, well, we're missing something. Or sometimes we'll look at peace as the absence of something, right? There's no war or there's no conflict. Um, But it's not just the absence of something. I want to suggest to you today throughout that it's the presence of someone. And sometimes, instead of peace, we feel stress and tension, and peace seems distant and remote. We can't quite experience it despite some of our best efforts. And life for many feels more like chaos, right? We, things are out of control. Everything feels broken. And you look around in your home and you've got young kids and there's toys and you've just had to get up in the middle of the night and you stepped on some Lego and it's just like, ah, that's all we can think of. And so you go, no, all is not well. Maybe you know someone like that. Maybe you work with them. Just stressed and anxious all the time. You go to school with them. Maybe you live with them. Or maybe if you're really honest this morning, that's you today. You think about your health, your finances, your relationships. And nothing seems as it should be and everything is tense and it seems more like the realities of life end up choking out any sense of peace and well-being that we think that we should have. And this is why it's so important for us to understand what true biblical peace is. And the concept of peace is found throughout the scripture and is woven into God's story from the very beginning. And the Bible Project has a great video on peace. In fact, they have an Advent series that we're leaning on. I'm leaning on. I'm going to quote a significant portion of it this morning. But it's an excellent resource on any Bible topic. That's why it's called the Bible Project. So if you're reading a particular book of the, of the Bible and you're having trouble maybe understanding it, just go find one of their videos. And in three, four, five minutes, they'll give you an overview that'll just help you understand even as you read. So highly recommend BibleProject.com. But when it gets to the subject of peace, we're, we're struck with the fact that, that the Bible uses two uh, key words, one in the Old Testament in Hebrew, one in the New Testament in Greek. And in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is shalom. Maybe you've heard that word, shalom. If you've ever gone to Israel, that's a common greeting amongst the people, shalom. They're just extending peace to, to one another. In the New Testament, the Greek word is irene. Uh, but but shalom itself is such a great word. It, 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 when you think of what it actually means, it helps us understand this concept of peace in a much fuller and deeper way. In Hebrew, the word shalom means complete or whole, even justice, an order that brings harmony. And it was used to refer to a stone that is perfect, that that it was this whole shape without any cracks or it. So think it's not broken, it's whole. It was also used to refer to a, a completed brick wall that had no gaps or any missing bricks in the wall. And so when the wall was complete, you could stand back and say, there was shalom, it was complete. Other uses of shalom are used to refer to something that is complex with lots of pieces that are in a state of completeness or wholeness. And yes, shalom can also refer to a person's well-being. 
But the idea that's conveyed through the many uses of this word shalom is that life is complex. It's full of pieces and parts. And then these part, when these parts, <coughs> excuse me, are out of alignment or missing, your shalom kind of breaks down. It falls apart. Because life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, when used as a verb, to bring shalom means to make complete or to restore. To make complete or to restore. And some examples of this, when Solomon completes the unfinished temple and kind of puts, you know, that last brick in there, he said to have brought shalom to the temple. And when broken human relationships are reconciled and healed, shalom is the result. Last week, Pastor Adam unpacked Isaiah chapter 9 for us a little bit, which is this beautiful picture of hope. But also in that prophecy, Isaiah is looking forward to this future king. And when he announces that this child who was going to be born to us, he would be called, among other things, Prince of Peace. And his peace would last forever. 700 years later, that prophecy was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. To whom the angels sang, if you're familiar with Luke chapter 2 and verse 14, and I think uh, Resonate this morning gave these angels a run for their money, but glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, what? Fill in the blank, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Why did the angels sing this? Because they were announcing the arrival of peace. They were announcing the fact that Jesus was God's very manifestation of peace. Peace himself came to Bethlehem that night uh, 2,000 years ago. And he came to bring good news to the poor, to, to heal the brokenhearted, and to restore the broken relationship between humanity and God. And throughout the Gospels and into the New Testament letters, this theme continues to emerge. In chapter 14 of, of John's Gospel, Jesus' death is imminent, and so he had gathered his disciples. He had told them that, that he was going to be leaving them. And I think he must have noticed that, that that news upset them. They were a little agitated. They got a little worked up about this. And so he has to look at them and he says these incredible words, do not let your hearts be troubled. You see where this is going? He's going to bring peace to their troubled hearts. And then later on, if you continue through the chapter in verse 27, we pick it up. He says this to them. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace, Jesus' peace, I give you. He says, but I don't give to you as the world gives. And then he says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. He says it again. That's how he started the chapter. And then he adds, and do not be afraid. And if you think about it, most of the things that cause us the stress and the anxieties that we deal with, it's it's rooted in fear, fear of unknown, fear of ill health, fear of economic disaster, fear of something terrible happening. You know, 
some of you might use YouVersion um, as, as an app or uh, on, the, on, uh, on your computer uh, to look up scripture or to maybe read daily. Do you know what the U version verse of the year was? It was just released this week, and so if you got that, maybe you got this email, and so you've already seen this. What do you think it was? Isaiah, well, you're probably going, how many verses could there be? But when I tell you, you're going to go, oh, of course. Isaiah 41.10. Now, this is, the reason it's the verse of the year is that this is the verse according to you version that has been bookmarked, shared, and highlighted most often. So yes, even you's version is tracking what you do on your phone. <laughs> that instills fear, doesn't it? But Isaiah 41.10, do not fear. Why? For I am with you. You see how when we experience fear and we understand that it's the power and the presence of God's Spirit that God is with us, restores peace? Now, of course, this continues into the life of Jesus himself when you think about it. I mean, he died on the cross, he was buried, he rose again at the resurrection. And so later, the Apostle Paul, in writing about this, he says in Romans 5 verse 1, he says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, that means simply that we have been made right with God, we've been reconciled to him. He says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. One verse that just makes it so clear that here's, this is what Jesus did. That through our Lord Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, we can have peace with God. That this relationship that was ultimately broken by sin between humanity and God, through the act of Jesus dying on the cross, was then restored to wholeness. Shalom. It was made right. And simply put, Jesus made peace between broken people and God when he died. And this truth was so clear to the Apostle Paul that he said in Ephesians 2 verse 14 that Jesus himself is our peace. And so when we come to faith in Jesus, peace is made with God. We're made right with him. And we come together. And so ultimately, faith in Jesus brings people together. And there are no dividing walls. There is no division of race. And in Ephesians, Paul goes on to say that the church should then ultimately be marked by this profound unity, a bond of peace, he calls it. And as the church, this unity, this peace, it should absolutely mark us and define us. And then together as a church, we're given a purpose and a mission and a calling to then go and create peace, to bring peace to this world. Now, I know that there's a lot here and and there's all these different aspects of peace, but I was just trying to paint this big picture that this is in some ways rather complex, but we can look at it from from this perspective, that as followers of Jesus, we participate ultimately in the life of Jesus. And so our heart should reflect his heart, and since he is about bringing peace to the world, we should be about that too. And so this rich biblical concept of peace means taking all of what is broken and restoring it to wholeness. And when we work at that, 
When we pursue peace in all of its various forms, we are being the community of peace that he desires us to be. So how, this is the question we're asking then, how do we mature as a community of peace? How do we then become people of peace so that we can be a community of peace? What, what can we do? And I, I'm going to give you six things. I hope it's not too many, but I hope that it gives you something to kind of hang your hat on this morning and take away to say, yeah, that's where I'm at. And, and it's not necessarily that you have to do all of these, but maybe more than one. But the first I want to say is simply this. Come to Jesus. As I thought about it, this wasn't even on my, on my radar initially. But what I don't want to do is assume that, that you have come to faith in Jesus Christ. There are many people here and watching online. Maybe you've just been invited to a friend. Maybe you've even been attending for a while. You even maybe have this experience of belonging. You've made some friends. But I wonder, have you ever truly come to believe? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? And I want to suggest to you to listen carefully to what's happening in your heart and in your soul today. Because some of the restlessness that you might be feeling, maybe a deep sense that something is not right in your life, that something is missing, That may, in fact, be an indication that you have not yet made peace with God. And the way that you make peace with God is that you respond to his invitation to come, when he says, come and follow me. And so we turn to Jesus, believing that he came, that he lived, that he died, that he was buried, he rose again. We're acknowledging that Jesus made it possible to be made right with God. And when that broken relationship with, is, is restored through faith, when it is reconciled, we have peace with God. And this is what Paul is writing about to the Colossians in chapter 1, verse 19 through 20, when he says, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. This is, he's talking about Jesus. So all of God's fullness was, was, so Jesus was fully God and fully man. And through him, that is through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus died so that we could have peace with God. Have you come to believe that? Have you received that gift of grace that Jesus says, I love you, I gave my life for you, and I just want to have a relationship with you? Will you trust me? If that in any way describes you today, please, please, please don't leave here today without having talked to somebody. Maybe it's somebody you came with. Come to talk to one of our staff. Come forward after the service at the close and just say, you know, when that guy, whoever he is, was was talking about peace and being this restlessness in my soul, I could just, that just resonated with me because that is exactly where I am at today. And I want to make peace with God. Because we can't experience peace without the relationship with Jesus first and foremost. So start there. Secondly, we then are filled with the Spirit. 
Be filled with the Spirit. You see, it's true that when we come to faith in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. But Paul also makes it clear in Ephesians 5 that there's this continual aspect to this filling. That life in and through the Spirit is an ongoing activity that we have to continually cultivate. And Galatians 5 has some of the clearest teaching on living the Spirit-filled life. And Paul uses these great metaphors of walking by the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit. And then he gets to verse 22 of chapter 5. We read about the fruit of the Spirit. So this is an indication of the Spirit of God's activity in each of our lives. And what is it? Probably if you've been around church for a while, you learned this in the early days of Sunday school. Love, joy, peace. Peace is something that is an indication that God is doing His work in our lives, along with forbearance or patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when we live by the Spirit, we think before we speak or tweet or make a comment on Facebook. Have you noticed that it doesn't take much to set some people off? More damage is done to relationships through our tongues, or nowadays maybe a keyboard, than anything else. Remember, God's people are about peace and reconciliation and restoring broken relationships. Why would we add fuel to the fire? And so may God's Spirit lead us and fill us and guide us as we walk this journey of faith. Thirdly, one word, practices. If you've been at TCC for any length of time, particularly probably in the last couple of years, we talk a lot about practices. We recognize that there's three key components to how we mature in our relationship with God, how we grow in our faith, and that's through good biblical teaching, through community, that's why we've had this heavy emphasis on life together this year, and through practices or spiritual disciplines, all of them. But, but it's interesting, isn't it? When you think of this concept of peace, and if you had this conversation with somebody at work tomorrow, and you just said, you know, how, how do you experience peace? They might say, well, you know, you find inner peace through breathing exercises or mindfulness apps. Oh, time in nature does it for me. You know, I find that if I just really love myself, I experience peace. Some might even experience peace when they declutter. I don't know about you, that just causes stress in our home when Tina gets on a run, but for some, maybe that works, and maybe there's a measure of truth to that. But here's the unique difference between what our culture will say is peace and how to discover it and what the Christian says. Because the Christian finds peace in a person. So the practices that draw you closer to Jesus will by nature bring rest and peace to your soul. Just think about it for a moment. Just silence and solitude or that stillness that you experience. I don't know if Pastor Adam had Psalm 46 uh, already uh, planned to, to read and share as a, as a prayer um, this morning, but I prayed that prayer before the service when we, ha- when we had gathered. It was just something I think that, that was stirring in my own, my own spirit, this, this invitation to each of us to be still and know that He is God. 
Go back and read Psalm 46 when, when it feels like our whole world is falling apart around us. What's the answer to that? Be still and know that I am God. We all need what I might call a merry moment. Not M-E-R-R-Y, but M-A-R-Y. We need more merry moments in our lives. Remember Luke chapter 10, where Jesus shows up at the home of Mary and Martha, these two sisters. And Martha's what? She's all agitated and she's worked up. She's what? She's what we all feel at Christmas when we're hosting our family Christmas, right? We're feeling the stress of all of the preparation and we, we, we get all worked up about it. And she looks over to Jesus and she sees her sister Mary just sitting there apparently doing nothing. And she says to Jesus, can you, like, I obviously can't talk to my sister. I'm going to go through you. Could you tell her to come and help me? There's stuff to do. And what does Jesus say to Martha? He has to call her name twice. Martha, Martha. She's chosen what's better. What's better? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, silence, and solitude. Prayer and Scripture. Tina knew I was preaching on the subject of peace, and so she just texts. She goes, this is one of my favorite verses, so I better use it. Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. Friends, that's exactly what what prayer is, and it's an expression of our trust and dependence. Because when we come to God in prayer, it's not like we're telling God things that He doesn't already know. It's not like we have to try to convince Him to do what He's already promised to do. But when we pray, that is that we talk to God, we are coming to the, we're coming to the very one who invited us to come to Him and find rest. Augustine said it well. He says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, put it so well. Chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Okay, don't be anxious about anything. It's not sweep it under the carpet, but instead of being anxious about those things, come to God through prayer, petition, giving Him thanks for His work in in these difficult situations that we're facing. Present your request to God. And here's the promise. It's not you're going to get everything you've asked for. The promise is, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, that's what we experience when we pray, when we take our anxieties and our fears and we bring them before God and we just say, God, help me. I just don't even know what to do with this anymore. And he says, you've done the right thing. You've come to me. You see, when we spend more time on social media, maybe reading endless tweets and comments from people we don't even know than we do in prayer, why are we then surprised when we get worked up about the state of our world? 
Because when we come to God with our anxieties, he goes, I know. Trust me in them. I am in control. I am at work, even if you don't see it. And this peaceful assurance just comes that, yes, he is, in fact, in control. Four, protect the unity of the community. Protect the unity of the community. I know it rhymes, but uh, maybe that'll stick a little bit more. But you see, when God's people walk in the power of the Spirit, growing in relationship through Jesus or with Jesus through spiritual practices, we come to understand how precious church unity is. And that's why the Apostle Paul, after talking about these two becoming one and the dividing walls of hostility coming down because Jesus himself is our peace, he moves into chapter 4 and he says, now live a life worthy of the calling that you've all received. And the very first thing he says, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. And just before this verse, in in verse 2, he actually explains how we do this. And it's on us. And he says this. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Doesn't that sound like we need the Spirit's work in our lives? Now, why is unity so important? Because a divided church, a broken community, is a poor witness of the power of God's work in our lives. The light of a divided church is dimmed and doesn't actually reflect God's heart for peace. And friends, let me tell you, this is one of the things that I am most grateful to God for at TCC. That over almost 20 years, God has protected our unity. In the middle of incredible growth that we have seen from a group of 11 people to probably now we're we're thinking that in the area of 8 to 900 people call TCC their home church. All of changes, major decisions, leadership transitions, physical moves, building a building, staff growth, and COVID, we have not had to deal with the heartbreaking reality of conflict. Thanks be to God. Because nothing sets a church back more than this kind of conflict, that kind of disunity. And some of you know that all too well. You've experienced it in the past, and you go, I never want to do that again. But let's never, ever take unity for granted. Paul says make every effort. So keep working at it. Keep protecting it. Know that it is so precious and so important. Which leads me to my fifth point. Pursue peace. Pursue peace. You see, because when people live in community... Misunderstandings and conflict are inevitable. But when people are committed to being peacemakers, not just peacekeepers, there is a huge difference. Someone who is a peacemaker will actively and intentionally seek to be reconciled when there is some conflict. Peacekeepers and standard generally passive and, and they'll just say nothing. But peacemakers are proactive. So it might go something like this. Someone did or said something that offended you. Or maybe you said or did something that hurt someone else. Now immediately, if you're walking in the Spirit, you sense something is off, and you're like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. You can start to feel that there's some tension in that relationship. 
And so you go to God with this situation, and maybe you sense him saying to you that you need to be more patient, or you need to bear with this person in love. And you're like, okay, God, I can leave it there. But maybe you sense that there is more there, and the hurt is, in fact, deep. And you sense that you need to make every effort to restore and reconcile the relationship in order to actually experience this relational peace. And so you go to the person speaking the truth in love because you have a desire to make peace. That should be our heart. And sadly and unfortunately, sometimes you try to reconcile with someone who is unwilling to be reconciled with you. So what do you do then? Well, the Apostle Paul, knowing that this may be a reality in some situations, he writes in Romans twelve eighteen: If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So as if it's possible. Sometimes it's not. So acknowledge that. But if it's up to you, as far as it depends on you, then you need to live at peace with everyone. So we're people who pursue peace. And lastly, I just said it this way, let your light shine. There's probably so many different ways of saying that, but I thought that kind of fits with the, some of the Christmas themes. Let your light shine. You see, there's no doubt that to live in this world means that we are exposed to all kinds of brokenness. Injustice occurs when marginalized or taken advantage of when there is heartache and grief and sorrow and loss and pain, when, when life circumstances are just flat out hard for someone, as followers of Jesus, we're called, in fact, to step into those broken places and do what we can to bring peace and to practice justice. And so to partner with God in bringing restoration, to perhaps making a difficult situation just a little bit better by doing something good or doing something kind, right? We can't, we can't fix poverty, but, but we can do our part, even when it might seem insignificant. And the point is that as God's people, as a community of faith, we can step into situations when others may be running away. This has been true of Christianity historically, when they stepped in to provide medical care in, in some of the worst plagues in human history. Something that our conference of churches is still doing in Cameroon. uh, Heavy emphasis on medical missions there. It's what we do as a church every week in creating space for single moms to connect. Just providing a meal and a space for relationship. It's what organizations like Hope Mission and the Mustard Seed do every day, 24-7, 365 days, sheltering and feeding Edmonton's homeless and others in need. It's what organizations like Basically Babies do when they create this beautiful basket of everything a newborn needs for our first year to give to young moms in need. And that's why every Advent season we roll out the bin and we announce Twilliger Cares. Because we believe in some way that even the donation of a toy that you're going to spend a lot more, but it's going to be donated to the mustard seed and they invite families in need in who can go through and buy gifts for two dollars which is probably significant less than what you just paid, but it gives them some dignity because they may only have $2. And a child will get a gift because of a simple act of kindness. And friends, every kind act in some way small says, 
you know, this is not right. This is broken. This is so misaligned. This is not the way it should be. And maybe in some small way, God can use my gift, this donation, my service in some way, just to bring a little bit of peace, to bring God's light into someone's dark and broken world. And so this gift of peace, of shalom, restoring broken hearts and broken lives. And when you do it, and I do it, and together we do it, we are maturing as a community of peace. Friends, it's so good for us to think about these important themes of Advent. Because Advent is the season of longing and expectation. Just as Israel awaited their deliverer, their Prince of Peace, We now find ourselves in the already but not yet. And so we find ourselves longing and waiting for his second coming. We live in this reality of, as I said, already but not yet. And we know that things right now here in this world, in this place, they're not the way they're supposed to be. But we know that when Jesus comes again, he will bring ultimate peace and restoration and shalom and once and for all to all of the broken things in this world. And this is the beautiful picture painted for us in Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4, where John writes, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, because he's come again among his people. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And listen to this description of what life will be like. He says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Doesn't it, the brokenness of our world, bring tears to our eyes? And he says, there's going to be no more death. Amen. We're mourning or crying, or pain. Why? For the old order of things has passed away. And so, yes, friends, you can trust Him in this. Jesus will come again, and He will make all things right. Broken people will be made whole and complete. Shalom, God's rest. But until then, we're called to be a community of peace. And as we prepare uh, for communion, it's fitting that today we've been reminded about Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who stepped into our brokenness, who took the initiatives. He lived among us, and he died, and he rose again so that we could have peace with God, that we would celebrate communion together. And I, there, there's something to me, I always love this December communion because we have the reminder of the manger, but we kind of put it against the backdrop of the cross and recognize that this baby that was born to us came as a gift to us so that we might have peace. 
Now, if you're here with us, there were communion cups at some tables out there, maybe before you were seated, either in here or at the tables back there. We have some ushers walking the aisles. They have a little communion cup in there. If you need one, just raise your hand, and uh, they'll be sure to get one to you. You'll need one of those. But let's remember today that we can, in fact, say all is well, because we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior who ultimately gave his life so that we could have peace. And so let's pray. And as I pray, the worship team is going to come. They're going to lead us in a song. And I just pray, just as you hold those elements, uh, keep your hand up if you need more. Um, But just thank God for the peace that he's brought into your life. And maybe there's something that is causing you some anxiety today. Turn that over to God. Maybe you just have to acknowledge some of the fears that you're experiencing. Turn those over to God. Keep trusting Him. Keep walking in dependence and trust on Him. And so I want to share uh, this prayer with you this morning as it, I think, gives us a great purpose and mission and a heart's cry for us today. Lord, make me an instrument of Your peace. Where there is hatred... Let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled, as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.